this week, we're closing out Philippians. 19 weeks ago, we started into this, and I, I highlighted some themes through the, through the study that, that we were going to talk on. We were going to talk on joy. We were going to talk on, on unity. We were going to talk about contentment and peace. And, uh, and, and all of those things are true. We, we saw them repeatedly woven through the whole letter. But the, but the centerpiece, the, 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 the one thing that is the foundation of all that Paul has to say is the value of Jesus and his gospel. In, in fact, the famous one-liners from, from places like chapter 1 that says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, or the one that we read from last week, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is not a statement that you can do all that you ever think in your mind to do, but it's I can face whatever circumstance, I can face whatever's in front of me through Christ who strengthens me. Those are rooted in chapter 3, which is centrally focused on the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, of of having gained and been a recipient of his righteousness by faith, and and, and then knowing and, and looking forward to the resurrection that belongs to Paul and belongs to God's people through Jesus Christ. His value of Jesus, Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' resurrection frames everything for Paul's life so that he can say, completely honest, completely sincere, that to live as Christ, to die is gain. Or that I can do all things, I can face whatever comes at me, regardless of how good it is or how bad it is, how, how much comes with it or how little comes with it. I, I, I can face it all with Christ. I, 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 can, I can live, this is Paul's, I think that the whole idea is that Paul is convinced he can live as if he's got nothing to lose. Because he values Jesus Christ so much. Because in Christ, he's already gained the greatest of all treasures. And so all of life is just great. It's just, just as bonus. Now I can face it all. I can do it all. I can, to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's all good. Today, as we build, continue to build out of that idea, as we turn back to chapter 4, we're going to pick up in the middle of a passage that Dave started into last week focusing on the contentment that comes from valuing Christ so highly and so fully, to now talking about and focusing on the fellowship of people who've, who, who have been given the greatest treasure of all, God's people. So that's where we're going to be. We're going to read for context's sake. We're going to read all of the verses, but our focus will be verses 15 through 23. So read along with me, if you will. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern For me, you were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know... That in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent 
fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work in and among us now. That we would recognize the gift, the, the, the value, the blessing, the benefit, and even the purpose of why you've drawn your people together here on this earth. And why you've not just immediately removed us or taken us away from trouble and hardship, but, but help us to understand, help us to see how, how much we need this fellowship. And how important this fellowship is to your mission in the world. I pray that you would work now. In Jesus' name, amen. So after coming through COVID and, and lockdowns and social distance orders and, and all the fragmentation that happened among uh, friends and neighbors and even, even people in churches. I mean, I, I think I've shared along the way, I've, I know of churches that have, have split over things like masks and no mass and mass and all that stuff. I, I, uh, I, I've seen partnerships across the country dissolve because uh, some people thought that uh, we should rise up in, against tyranny and meet regardless of what the government said. And others said, no, there's a, a more right way to do it. And, and people on opposing sides of that dividing, breaking apart and f- beginning to infight and partnerships d- dissolving. It's, it's, it's sad. I, I think after all of that, I, I think it's not a hard lead. It's not even a hard, it's not hard work for me to, to, to encourage you and in, in, in even maybe find agreement in the importance and the value of Christian fellowship, of, of being able to be together. You know, the idea of being able to stream this live and, and, and there may be a, f- a few people watching now or, uh, the, the, or, or be able to, to, to be able to catch up on it later and to listen to it later. The, over and over, the, the, the same comment is made. Well, I watched online or I listened later, but it's just not the same. There's something missing. There absolutely is something missing. You're not sitting in a room surrounded by other believers who feel the same about Jesus as you do. You're sitting isolated and alone in a room, maybe, or with headphones in or on a treadmill or where, wherever you might be watching and paying attention. But that physical distance, it allows, if it lasts, it allows for relational distance to begin to develop. And then, and then that relational distance begins to develop into emotional distance. And, and we just aren't quite as important to one another anymore because we're not as related to one another anymore because we're not with one another anymore. And, and, and then our sin nature tends to run wild and begin to assume the worst. And rather than love covering a multitude of sins... We begin to, begin to assume sin behind every action and intent of every person we would have normally given the benefit of the doubt. I can't tell you the number of times I've sat with believers, Christians, people in this church over the course of this season who have felt isolated and offended because they were all alone and nobody cared. When 60, at least 60% of the people in this church I've had that same conversation with because they thought they were the only ones dealing with it, that they were all alone. 
that they were all, all isolated and nobody cared. That's not true. It's because we weren't close, because we weren't spending time together, because that physical distance led to relational distance, led to emotional distance, began to allow our sin nature to take hold and begin to assume offense and, and perceive hurt and ill motive where there was none. I, I don't think it's hard to talk about or even consider or be convinced of the importance and the value of Christian fellowship, the necessity of it in our lives. I've watched. I, I have literally worked against and sought to counsel against, and I'm not the only one. I know our pastors have. I know our community group leaders have sought to still try to figure out ways to keep us close, even when so many of us are distant. But this passage, as valuable and vital Christian fellowship, isn't just about me, and it's not just about you. That is a beautiful benefit, a beautiful uh, uh, blessing that comes with it. But if we're just into Christian fellowship for the me, then I'm not certain that we can say we're into Christian fellowship. There's more to it. And Paul shows us there's more to it. There's a great benefit that we're blessed in it, but so are everyone else that's involved in it. And Paul shows us here why it's such a blessing. And we're going to give you the summation of it. We're going to work our way through it across the course of this sermon. Christian fellowship is foundational to the furtherance of the gospel because it fuels gospel mission, bears good fruit in the lives of gospel partners, and gives glory to the God of the gospel. Christian fellowship is foundational to the furtherance of the gospel because it fuels gospel mission, bears good fruit in the lives of gospel partners, and gives glory to the God of the gospel. Look back at verse 15. All right, you can, let, let's start at verse 14. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. Paul's already, con- he's, he's already said, hey, I, I didn't really need your gift. I know how to deal with great amounts of great great blessings and i know how to deal with very little i i know how to face every circumstance that i deal with yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble and you philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel not 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 the beginning like acts 2 beginning although we're going to look at that in just a minute in, in the beginning of his gospel ministry in the beginning of the gospel when i left macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. There's some, some, some connection. We've already seen it over and over through this letter. There's a, a clear connection, a sincere affection, a deep love that Paul has for these people and a sincere concern that these people have for Paul, such that Paul's writing this letter and talking about his, his feelings towards them and, and such that they are sending help for him time and again. There's something between them. And, and, and I think we could easily say, well, it's this partnership that they have. And we could just move on from there. They, they want to share in, with him. They want to they be good to him. And we could just move on from there. But we miss something if we don't look a little closer. The, 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 the word that we're reading as share my trouble and um, partnership with me in verses 14 and 15 
They're the same word in the Greek for fellowship. Now, I think, and this is, I think, just a, it's an accident. It wasn't intentional. I think that most of the time when, when churched people hear the word fellowship, they think, hey, I'm going to go have some ice cream after church on Sunday or potluck or some event. Or Yesterday afternoon, we got together and we celebrated a, 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 a year in, in Caleb's business and, and, and we got to celebrate and have this great time and, and he shared testimony about God's blessings. But, but oftentimes, people would think of that event and that time to be together and to have fun together as fellowship. And I think that's a part of it, but it misses so much of it if we're not careful. Because partnership, if we use that word, if we just stick with partnership or share, I mean, th- th- there's no depth to it. It's just this, this practical, pragmatic thing that we do. People in business or, or participate together. But the word is koinonia. It means, and this is from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament to, to define it for us. It means fellow, participant. It implies fellowship or sharing with someone or in something. There's a sharing with someone and a sharing in something. Maybe you remember the, the movie or maybe you were actually brave enough to read the books, J.R. Tolkien's books. And the second one is called Fellowship of the Ring. And, and the idea here. And, and the title of it, 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 it draws on something. These, these, are, these are people who, who cross all lines of socioeconomic life in Middle Earth. There's dwarves and elves and, and men and, and even hobbits, right? And they, they, they cross all these boundaries and they reach into all these places. And they're shoved together with this common purpose and this common mission. And there's so many people that do that. That's, there's, nothing, there's nothing unique about that. People, people that work for the same business, shove together, cross social lines. Across, they, they go into that building, they get their job done, and by doing their part, the janitor doing his part keeps the building clean so that the CEO doing his part can keep the business going, right? Everybody doing their part. They participate together. But what we watch happen inside that story is that these people move past the mission that they've been given to being concerned and deeply affectionate toward the people that they wouldn't normally associate with because of what's happening among them. Suddenly, a dwarf and an elf who would want nothing to do with one another on normal terms, and I don't know these things. <laughs> it's not like I've studied all the lore. Don't, <laughs> I just hear people talk about it. <laughs> so, so I might be wrong here, but I, as, as I understand it, let me say it that way, as I understand it, as dwells and ors, dwells, Dwarves and elves would normally have nothing to do with one another, and neither would dwarves and dwarves. You know, they don't, they, they don't like each other either. Sorry. But, but there's this reality that, that in the process of it, they become so valuable, so important to one another, that they're willing to lay their lives down for each other. To the point that when the two hobbits are separated from them going off, they don't give up and walk away. Well, we're done. They continue after the mission because the fellowship cannot be broken. To the point that, and this is in the movie, I don't think it's in the book, but to the point that a dwarf actually asks an elf to throw him, right? This beautiful way in which we get to see all the barriers broken down because in it they are not just participating, they're actually sharing. See, this is where I think the delineation is between normal fellowship, what everyone in the world can, 
experience and what happens inside of Christian fellowship. And I think we can see it displayed in this letter. Paul's love and affection for the Philippians, it runs so much deeper than the very practical things that they've done. He doesn't love them simply because they've sent him a gift. He's not deeply affectionate for them simply because they've helped him along the way. But, but think back on Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Like every time he thinks of them, every remembrance, I thank God for you. Always in every prayer of mine for you. Making my prayer with joy. Every, every remembrance leads him to gratitude toward God. And every, every prayer offered up then is, is offered with joy. Because of what? You're participating in the gospel. They're participating together with him. He is grateful to God for them because of that. But then skip down another verse or so. Philippians 1, 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. And you're beginning to see the deep affection. Not just the attitude he has towards God about them, but the deep and personal connection he feels towards them. This isn't just about a thought. It is also about a feeling and an emotive response. So often we're trying to remove that. We just want to think. The gospel and the grace of God and the mission that he sent us on is not just about thinking. You get what he's doing here. He's combining the heart and the mind together. So we don't want to just think it and we don't want to just feel it. These these things belong together. Together, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers. And that word partakers is the same word he used previously, a different tense, a different derivation of it. Partnership and partakers are the exact same word. Partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation. He justifies his sincere affection for them. He, he's so taken with them because they are partakers of God's grace. They're participants in God's mission and they're partakers of God's grace. It may have been that the giving and receiving uh, and, the, and the pragmatic practical partnership gave room for that fellowship to actually develop and, and to grow, to become this sincere and deep affection that, that demonstrates a real a real fellowship, a Christian fellowship. Those pragmatic actions, practical actions, may have given room for it to grow, but the thing that made it substantial is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are partakers with me of grace. You are partners in the gospel. Christian fellowship. This, so, so this is how I would, I would call us to look at this Christian fellowship that we're studying today. Christian fellowship is partaking in God's grace and participating in God's mission. So that, that, that um, definition, koinonia, means fellow, participant. It implies fellowship or sharing with someone or in something. The sharing with is, the, the sharing with is participating in the mission, and the sharing in is partaking in God's grace. Christian fellowship is partaking in God's grace and participating in God's mission. The Philippians were partners of Paul's. He's affirmed that repeatedly. He's encouraged him to continue in that. Not so much as sending him stuff, but standing firm in the gospel. And he, he told them that, that, that much at the end of chapter 1 where he says, don't, let, don't, don't be afraid, don't, don't act in fear. That's a, that's a clear sign to your enemies that they're defeated. 
Stand firm in the gospel. He, he calls them, them to this repeatedly. They're partners in the gospel, but they're also partakers together with him of God's grace. And suddenly, that, that, that removes any hierarchy. It removes any ability for one person to stand above another, one act as if they're more deserving than another. Because we're all together recipients of the same grace. The active, the unobligated, the unearned and undeserved goodness of God that receives us into His presence. We all get that in Jesus Christ. And together, we're, we're lavished in it, he tells us in Ephesians. It's grace upon grace in Jesus Christ. It's not just a little bit of grace, not like this little trickle. It's this overflowing saturation of His grace in and upon us. And from, from the beginning days of the church, this, this fellowship, this, this koinonia was central to its life and the, and the flow of its life. It was the result of what God was doing in the gospel. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, at the, at the, at the breaking out of the Holy Spirit and the, and the movement of the gospel into thousands of people's lives. Acts 2, 42 tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship. The koinonia, the people, the, the sharing in the grace and the, and the participating in the mission. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the sharing in of grace and to the participating into the, in the mission, to the breaking of bread and prayers. It's the same fellowship that John would later highlight and, and point to the church and, and demonstrate to them the value and necessity of, of that fellowship and, and its source And John 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, so that you too may enjoy and, and experience and, 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 and appreciate partaking in the grace of God in Jesus Christ, so that you too can participate in His grace and, and, and His mission of grace, so that you too can stand alongside us, He says. And, and, and just be soaked in and saturated with God's grace and, and God's mission. But then he goes a step further. And indeed, to be in fellowship with them, he says, and indeed, our fellowship, our communion, our participation, our, our sharing in and sharing with is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This fellowship with one another is the result, it's the direct result of our fellowship with God. If you go back to Acts 2, that verse that I read, the reason these people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers, is because they had come to see that Jesus Christ, the man who was crucified, was their Messiah. They were cut to the heart and they asked Peter, What? What are we to do? We killed our Messiah. Repent and be baptized. And they were. 3,000 were added to their number that day. And as a result of the gospel at work in their lives, they began, began to be partakers of God's grace and participants in his mission. And we get to see them participate in his mission immediately. If you read behind that, they're not just receiving, but they love one another so much they begin to share. They begin to sell their stuff and give it away to one another so that everybody's needs are met.
in this passage with 1 John, he's referencing back to the gospel that they had proclaimed, to the gospel that had saved them, and so that now these, these people who hadn't actually seen Jesus and met Jesus could have, fe- have fellowship with them. And, and, and if they had fellowship with, with, um, with, with John and, and those with him, then they had fellowship with, with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, because our fellowship together is rooted in the fellowship that comes from God. Our communion together is rooted in the fellowship that we have with God in Jesus Christ. And in fact, he goes on to make the point that if you're walking in darkness, or if you're walking in sin, you can't have fellowship with God. But if you, for, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just, and he restores your fellowship. And in so doing, he not only restores your fellowship with him, but he restores us to fellowship with one another. Now, back to Philippians, it's, it's this Christian fellowship that Paul has been intent to protect. Seems to be that he went out of his way in this letter that was very positive. It was high. Uh, it, 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 it was extremely filled. It was filled with joy. There was, there, there was an undercurrent of darkness, an undercurrent of difficulty, but so much of what he had to say was just joy-filled, passionate, excitement, But all the way through this letter, he continues to seek to defend Christian union. Such that in Philippians 2.1, he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, or any fellowship in the Spirit, any sharing in the Spirit, any uh, 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 um, participating together in the Spirit, if there's any fellowship, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. So if there's any evidence, if there's any, any inkling or hint of these things, complete his joy by being the full accord and of one mind. Paul, Paul focused so much on unity, not for unity's sake. We have to talk about it. We had to deal with it. We, had, we looked at the letters all the way through it. We had to walk through it. But he's not dealing with it simply for unity's sake, but because he knows the importance of Christian fellowship. He knows the value of Christian fellowship in the lives of God's people. Now, we've already talked about one way, because it is encouraging to the individual believer. But there's so much more. In Christian fellowship, we share a common source of identity and strength. God's grace. As partakers of God's grace, we are no longer who we used to be as a graceless people. We are, we are being fed and, and sustained and strengthened and transformed and made new by the grace of God. In it, we share a common purpose, God's mission. He didn't leave us here to establish governments and to, and, and, and to uh, uh, build a kingdom for ourselves and to go and, and, and simply build business. There's nothing wrong with any of those things in the right context. But Jesus' final words on the earth would go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. He tells them in Acts 1 that they are going to be his witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to to the ends of the earth. That is what he left his church to do. That is the sharing in his mission. That is the purpose that he has called us to. That's the common thing that he gives us to fight for, to see him glorified in all the world. In in Christian fellowship, we're used of God to share one another's burdens. 
We even see that expressed in this passage as, as Paul's like, yeah, I, I didn't absolutely need the gift because I've learned to do without. But I'm so thankful that you've shared with me. In Acts chapter 2, we see that that becomes the, the theme. And they're so convinced and so filled with love for one another and so faith-filled in what God is doing. They're willing to sell their stuff and take care of one another. In it, we're used of God to encourage one another, help one another endure by God's grace and in God's mission. In Christian fellowship, we're used of God together to advance the gospel, to, 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 to extend His grace in this world. It, it starts among us, but it never stays with us. It always moves beyond us when we're doing what we've been called to do. Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship is foundational to the furtherance of the gospel because it fuels gospel mission, bears gospel fruit in the lives of gospel partners, and glorifies the God of the gospel. Christian fellowship fuels the gospel mission. Look at verses 14 and 15. You, the, he, he's commending them, and, and he's rejoicing greatly about this. You share my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul was out making tents, going around spreading the gospel, not asking anything of the people that he was sharing the gospel with because he didn't want to be a burden to them. And certainly when he was sent out from from Antioch, when he and Barnabas first go out, certainly there was some way in which they were supportive of his work. But in the giving and receiving, it seems the Philippians were the first ones who came alongside Paul and helped him eat and live in a world that demands money and still go about doing his gospel work. Now, I know what that feels like. I'm I'm not Paul. Please don't pretend. don't, don't Don't hear me saying that. But when we planted this church, and many of you were here to see the, the beginning of that. When we planted this church 14 years ago, I was terrible at fundraising. I'll just admit it. I don't know why I was so bad. Well, I do know. Partly it was me. Partly it was I would even tell me no. Like if I'm looking at it today and I look back and I come knocking on my door, I would say, no, nah, let's, yeah. But the church that sent us out prayed for us, and I'm certain they did. The, the, the people that I, that I connected with, they, they prayed for us. But we, we, we had one regular giver outside this church that was a participant in the gospel with us. And it was a couple of Amy's aunts. They, they gave together all the time. They gave $30 a month till the day both of them were eventually dead. I am so appreciative for that $30 a month. You think, oh, you can't do much for 30 bucks. You can't even put gas in a car for 30 bucks anymore, right? But there was so much attached to that 30 bucks. There wasn't about the amount. They were fueling God's mission. They were participating in it together. There was, there was a, a, a real fellowship that was able to grow out of that. They're sharing in his trouble... They're sending him help time and again. Their partnership with him, in part, is what God is using to move the mission forward. Fueled by God's grace. When we are fueled by God's grace, our participation together, our, our, our helping one another, our partaking in God's grace together and giving it to one another, it fuels his mission. 
When the church gets busy being the church, when the church gets busy doing the things God has called us to do, the gospel is proclaimed and it is practiced. So when the world hears it, they also get to see its effects. But when we get caught up in the junk of the world, when we begin to proclaim another man's message or our own, when we're known less for our holiness and more for how much we look like everybody else in the world, the reality is salt's no longer salty. But the fellowship, when we stand together as participants of the mission and partakers of His grace, it's undeniable. That's why this little group of of 11, really, there's 120, depending on, well, not depending on, there's 120 believers left that we know of in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 that are praying together. They install a, a 12th. And they're praying together. The Holy Spirit falls down. And from that group, thousands begin to believe. And here we are 2,000 years later, partaking in that same grace, participating in that same mission, having fellowship with people we've never even met. Because God's grace is that good. Now, don't misunderstand. I his mission's always going to be accomplished, right? I don't, I don't want you to walk out of here and think, oh, well, man, i got to do this because he, Seth made me feel guilty and people are going to go to hell if I don't do it. I don't want you to run to that, that place. God's grace, his work, is, he's sovereign. We are not big enough to accomplish his mission without him, nor are we big enough to undermine his mission apart from him, right? I don't want you to go there. But I do want you to recognize that we don't get to walk in and enjoy it and rejoice with, with the same joy that Paul had if we're always staying distant from it. If we're getting caught up in the stuff of the world, we still might be partaking of His grace in some way, but we're not getting to enjoy how we see that participate in His mission. If we legalistically get up and participate in His mission without ever partaking in His grace, then we're no different than the Pharisees. These things go together. This is a both-and reality. Paul's letter to the Philippians is so full of joy because they are enjoying both the grace and the mission it's applied to and the mission that His grace is accomplishing in them and through them. Even though there's hardship, even though there's adversaries all around, (laughs) Paul is rejoicing and he's saying you should rejoice too. Christian fellowship is foundational to the furtherance of the gospel because it fuels gospel mission. Christian fellowship bears good fruit in the lives of gospel partners. Just some of, the, some of the fruits picked out of this passage are encouragement. Paul is, I rejoice at, in the Lord greatly. He's not just a little bit happy. He is rejoicing greatly. He is extremely encouraged. He is, he is thought of. He's considered. He's, he's remembered. He, he's, he's affirmed in his work. All these things that are right and good in the right context, in the right, in the right framework. Paul was encouraged as he was reminded that there were people out there that actually cared for him. Imagine what it's like to be in a prison, chained to a guard. There's actually one person that, that talked about his prison cell, and I don't know if this is, I don't know who's right about this, but there's this uh, other perspective that maybe he wasn't on house arrest, that, that he was in a dungeon that 
through the, the, the only light that came in was through a hole in the ceiling, and, at, and that was only at a particular time of the day because the dungeon was underneath another dungeon. I don't know. I guess we can ask him when we get there, which is right. But just imagine in either case, what happens when you're distant from people? Relational distance begins to develop. When that relational distance begins to develop, what begins to happen? Well, we don't begin, we, we, we fight to feel the same way about people. What happens when we don't think people feel good about us? We begin to assume the worst of them. I, I know that Paul is, is able to say these things, that he's rejoicing greatly. That I, I have no doubt that these are sincere and true. But Paul was a man, he was a person just like you and me. And I think what sustained him was not his, his great willpower and his great strength, but it was the grace of God. And he is encouraged as any of us would be when he gets this gift from the Philippians. It bears good fruit in the lives of gospel partners. Mutual benefit. He goes on to say, hey, it's not that I'm seeking the gift. I, I don't need you to send me a bunch of gifts He's encouraged because in the sending of the gift, not only is he encouraged, but he knows that there's fruit that increases to their credit. That they're going to benefit. That even though they're sacrificing something, that the cost is to them, right? They're the ones paying it. They're the ones giving out of their own stuff. He's excited. He's celebrating. He's rejoicing. Not only because he's been given a gift, not only because he's been thought of, but because he knows that they are going to gain a benefit from it Two, that they have given a sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord. And and I think, I I, I could be wrong, but I think this is where so often we struggle in walking in this. So so you hear us repeatedly, often, calling people to serve in the church, to give of their time, to, 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 to work in kids' ministry, or to serve in the nursery during the, during the church hour, to, to do things like that. We don't need you to do that. We can do whatever we need to do because God's grace is sufficient. We, can, we, we, we know how to face the... We, we've done it with 5, 10, 15 people in a room. We've started in a house, 5 people in a living room. We know how to live with little. We only had one person outside this church ever give in, in, in support of the mission. It was $30 a month. We know how to do with little. We also know how to do with abundance. We're in a much better place today. Well, we don't call people to serve. We don't call people to give because we need it. We call you to it because we know that in the giving up of yourself, there's actual fruit that will be borne out in your life. We don't want you to do it out of guilt. We want you to do it out of desire to see what God will do in you and through you. But so often, it's all just about making the machine work. I, I, I will tell you from the bottom of my heart, let me be honest first. There's a part of me that I put to death. I'm f- fighting against constantly. That, that thought will creep in, and I punch it till it shuts up. There's a part of me. I'm not, I'm not perfect. But I can tell you standing here looking you in the eye. I don't want you to serve because it does something for me. I want you to serve because if you don't, you're missing out. I want you to give, not because we need your money, because if you don't, you're missing out on the joy it is to walk 
in this Christian fellowship. I want you here. I'm jealous for your attendance and participation on a Sunday morning. Not because I need people in the room. I've done it without people in the room. But because you are missing out. Sitting on the other side of a camera, listening to a podcast later in the weeks because because you chose to prioritize differently. I get life happens. Go take your vacations. Enjoy. I'm I'm not, hear, hear me, I'm not trying to draw a law out for you. But it's not the same. It's been said over and over and over and over again. I I listen, but it's just not the same. It's not. I long, we long, your pastors long for the fruit that is is to the benefit. it's It's to your credit. It's for you. But because, but, but because we miss out on that, then, then we begin to miss out on the rejoicing together that's all over this letter. Paul is so clear that he doesn't want to just rejoice. He wants them to rejoice. He wants to rejoice together because this isn't one-sided. It's mutually beneficial. There's a rejoicing together that we miss when we're not walking in this Christian fellowship and the participating in God's mission and the partaking of His grace both together, even in the face of sacrifice. It cost the Philippians something, Absolutely. They, they felt the gift. They even almost lost one of their beloved members, Epaphrodite. If you go back and read in Philippians 2, he nearly died. Because he's the one that brought the gift. And Paul's like, he got sick and nearly died. I thought, he was gonna, I thought I was gonna be writing this letter to tell you he was dead. How tragic would that be? But I'm so grateful that he didn't die. Their sacrifice supported the work of God in the world. Their sacrifice was received. As a pleasing aroma to God. Isn't that something to to celebrate? Isn't that a reason to rejoice that that in Christ we've been made a joy, in Christ we've been made acceptable, that we can enter into God's presence? But as we walk together, partakers of God's grace and participating in God's mission, we actually get to be a pleasing aroma because of the work He's done in us. The truth is, some of us are struggling to rejoice at all, let, a, let, let alone rejoice together. Because we're on the fringes. Because we're attenders, but not participants. Because we're partakers, but not participants. Because we're trying to enjoy the grace of God without the participating in the grace of God's mission. We're trying to participate in God's mission by the by the by the effort of our own power and the own, our drawing on our own strength and missing out on the grace that's His and that'll never lead to joy. We need both. We, we need to we need to partake of His grace and we need to participate in His mission. It's a both and reality. It's a both and equation. And it's a reality that. Every church, it, it, I think, if it's a healthy, growing church, is going to have people on the fringes and people in the center and people all the way on the spectrum in between. And the people in the spectrum in the middle should be making sure that every person on the fringe has a way to the middle. Because how did you get to the middle? By God's grace. Did you deserve to be there? No. How did you become someone who rejoices in what God's doing in and among his people here? 
by His grace and by stepping in and, and not waiting for everybody else to do it for you, but stepping in and beginning. And these people, well, you don't realize these people have already been making a way for you. You didn't do this on your own. But as people together participating in His mission make a pathway for the people on the fringe and the people not quite as far out on the fringe and not quite as far out on the fringe, they're always making this way so that we're always continuing to reach more people, making room for God's people to continue to walk in this Christian fellowship. That should be happening in our community groups, should be happening here on Sunday mornings as we gather, should be happening across the life of this church. If it's only the people that you think deserve to be there, then you might be cutting yourself out. (laughs) Think on that. None of us do. But by His grace, we get to participate together in this glorious, eternal mission. That's something to rejoice about. Humble dependence. Humble dependence. Sacrifice. Oh, yeah, it is sacrifice, but but God's going to supply your need. Spiritually, He already has. I can point you to passages of Scripture. He has given us all we need for life and godliness. That's in 2 Peter. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, he tells us that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has not left us empty-handed. He has overwhelmed us with his blessings. He has not just dribbled them out a little bit. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He has given us all we need for life and godliness. But I also think there's a promise here. God, Paul's dealing with practical giving. He's dealing with practical realities. So I think there's a way in which he intends this to be said in such a way that he will supply your need as you live your life partaking of his grace and participating in his mission. We are not health and wealth. We are not prosperity gospel. I think that's of the devil. I I, I will stand against it to the day I die. But God will supply your needs. He will take care of his people. You may not get everything you want in the world. You may not have a house that's got, I don't know, what's the American dream? I, I think it used to be two car, two car garage, white picket fence. You know, I think now it's probably a three car garage with four bedrooms so we can have an extra one. You, know, I, you may not have that. You may. Don't dismiss that that might not be a blessing. It might actually be a burden because in some ways you become connected to that. It's hard to live with little when you've only ever lived with much. But that's not the point of this. Humble dependence is the point of this. He's drawing them to a place that you sacrifice, but God is going to take care of you. He's going to meet your needs. That may come through common measures like you getting a job and going to work, maybe even working some overtime. I can remember times in my life where, where, where uh, man, money was tight. Well, it's not always not tight now, but money was really tight. Like I was watching it. And I know a bill's going out, and it's already at zero, and I'm thinking if that clears before that goes up, that I'm in trouble. Scary days, right, when you're thinking, I, got, I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to be that person. And overtime would come up. And I'd have more work to do and more money in my pocket that I could pay that bill. It happened repeatedly where, where I, was, I felt called to go on a mission trip and I couldn't pay for it and cash would show up in my mailbox. I don't know who sent it, just cash in an envelope. I'd go to my mailbox. It happened multiple times in the course of my life. Maybe, maybe through the reality of his people walking together, 
seeing brothers and sisters in need, and saying, I don't want you to be in need. <laughs> I love you enough, and God has given me so much. Let me share it with you. All, all these different ways, God will supply your need. Don't assume that just because you're working or just because you asked and somebody answered or that you did it. God will provide your need. So humble dependence is one of the things that come out of Christian fellowship, growing fellowship. When Paul opened the letter, he shared about this, this whole imperial guard getting to hear the good news because he's in prison. He's like, don't be concerned for me. I'm rejoicing because the whole imperial guard heard about Jesus. He's excited about that. This, is, this didn't deter God's mission in any way. And what does he do here at the end? Look at all these saints that are greeting people now. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household they're greeting you. Here, here's the reality. These, these Philippians have never met many of these people. Maybe most. Maybe, maybe the only one they've met is Paul and Timothy. And he's saying they all greet you. Because in some way, these Philippians had a part to play in Paul being there to share the gospel so that the fellowship continued to grow. And the grace of God continued to move forward. the importance of Christian fellowship to the mission and bearing fruit in God's people. It may not be fruit in your life, but the fruit of the lives of the people around you isn't that worth it. Here's the interesting thing about fruit being born on a tree is the reality is we all want the fruit so we can enjoy the fruit ourselves. But when a tree bears fruit, it's not for itself. Fruit feeds other people, right? Other people come to the tree and pick the fruit and enjoy the blessing of the fruit. If the fruit falls and the seed gets buried deep enough in the ground so that it can take root, another tree is given life. But a, fruit, a, a tree that's healthy and right and good, apple trees must bear apples to be healthy and, and, and flourish. It's a necessity. And there's growing fellowship where the, where the grace of God continues to, to, to do its work in our lives, or participating in his mission together, does its work in our life, but it doesn't stay local here. This is the result of, of the mission that they had participated in, and it, it continues today, so that, so that this morning we're able to stand together in moments in which I didn't plan for, because I didn't think, I thought, I'm going to hear these testimonies, I've heard these testimonies, thinking about the man who died, I'm thinking about the way I saw people come around to us in, in, as, as we're stranded in Senegal, and the partnerships that were there, and, and the reality of what happened, and not even had, having even made, made those full connections yet, but listening to it this morning, recognizing that this is Christian fellowship, and the necessity of it in our lives. So that we, 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 we participate and partake in, participate in God's mission and partake in God's grace with people in Croatia, in West Africa, in Japan, Joplin, Missouri, Detroit, Michigan, Montana, and organizational partnerships that allow us in the planting of churches all across the Midwest. I was just there in, in Las Vegas at a church planter assessment and assessed two people that, that one has some serious and strong conditions if he's going to plant in a healthy way, he needs to follow. And I get the benefit, the blessing, to be able to be a brother to this guy and come alongside him and be a coach to him and a mentor and someone who can speak into his life. So that in, I think he's in Iowa. I'll, I'll know this more as I get to know him better. I'm pretty sure he's in Iowa. A church getting planted in Iowa because of our partnerships 
But we have local partnerships such, such that we have sister churches, Life Point Church in Ozark, Boulevard Baptist across the city, Redeemer on the north side, so that, so that we walk together, that we partake in God's grace and we participate in His mission right here where we are. What a blessing it is to be a part of this. And the necessity of it is invaluable because Christian fellowship is foundational to the furtherance of the gospel because it fuels gospel mission, bears good fruit in the lives of gospel partners, and glorifies the God of the gospel. Christian fellowship glorifies the God of the gospel. And Paul comes to this place where he closes this letter with this, to God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he's just been talking about how, how does he get to that? Doesn't that seem like a, no. It's his peace that guards us because he's the God of peace. It's his grace that gives us joy and the ability to rejoice. It's his gospel, and because it's the grace of his gospel that we're participants and partakers of, he gets the glory. So when we live lives that worship him together, such that it leads other people to worship, who gets the glory for that? We're going to walk around and pat ourselves on the back? To God be the glory forever and ever. When, when, when his union, when, when our union with him brings union among us, are we going to puff up our chest and say, look at us, we figured it out? To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. When our love for one another is so rich and so full that we now carry one another's burdens and share one another's lives and, and, and know the ins and outs of one another's struggle and stand alongside one another, partaking in the grace of God together and participating in His mission together. And we see the fruit of that born out in our lives together. Are we going to stand up and say, hey, look at what we did? To God be the glory forever and ever Amen. This is what it is to participate or to partake in his grace. It is all from him and to participate in his mission such that he is glorified everywhere we go. But brothers and sisters, don't try to partake. Don't try to participate without partaking. And don't think that you'll ever find the joy that we're talking about today if you're not first partaking in his grace. It's absolutely necessary to, to wallow, to soak, to, to saturate yourselves, to think on, to set your minds on Christ and the things of Christ. To know the grace that you have been given. To be transformed and be strengthened so that when you stand up and participate in his mission, you get to revel in what he does in you and through you, in us, among us, and beyond us, so that you get to rejoice in that. And give him all the glory. Let's pray.